Hi, this is Jordan. And I'm Brian. And you're listening to The Quality Varies. Brian, how are you on this lovely day? Just dandy. How are you? I am fantastic. I will tell you what, I have done nothing today but listen to the sound of our voices. What a day. <laughs> it has been it has been a roller coaster of thinking that we are funny and also extremely boring at the same time as I critique our own audio. Today we don't have that struggle anymore, uh, at least for this episode. Why is that, Brian? Well, I think we have a guest. I think so. Uh, James, ooh, I meant to ask you your pronunciation of your last name. James Wolfenstein? Wolfenstein, yeah. Wolfenstein, ooh, okay. The only uh, thing I had was the video game, so that's what I was going for. James, how you doing, man? Doing well. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. I want to jump right in. We we already talked about in a previous episode a little bit about maybe what we'll be talking about today and kind of diving into what's going on on your end. And I, I kind of want to touch base on, uh, we just had a whole episode on resistance. We talked for about 90 minutes on that. And I'm sure that you might have a comment or two on that later in the episode. But uh, James, you got a lot of stuff going on in your life that I found pretty interesting. And I just wanted to start kind of with what's going on with you right now. And then we can, uh, we can maybe dive into a little bit of the kind of the past and future and kind of the plans that you got going on. How does that sound? Yeah, for sure. I'm along for the ride. So what is taking up most of your time uh, these days? Um, yeah, so most of my time these days is just spent working. I work for a solar company for my day job. And then outside of that, I spent a lot of time launching and building a business that I recently started called the Perspective Awards, which is a photography competition platform. So early mornings, late nights, building that, meeting with my business partner on that. And we just wrapped up our first month of the very first competition and then launched our second month. So each month we have a new theme and a new professional photographer that will be the judge of the photos that month. So yeah, that's exciting, but that's taking up majority of my time these days. Excellent. And the this uh, co- this competition, you, so this is a photography company, and so people are making submissions to this website that somebody is reviewing and judging. Yeah, that's correct. Brian, do you uh, do you find yourself a photographer? Not in a professional sense. Um, <laughs> my dad was a professional photographer back in the archaic days of film. Mm. Uh, he he owned a photo lab just outside Zion National Park here in uh, southern Utah. Uh, right before digital cameras became widespread. Um, unfortunately, the digital camera revolution kind of put that out of business. But uh, I grew up around photography and we I remember going on hikes with my dad and my grandpa and just we'd take pictures. They would take pictures of just cool things we saw in the forest, flowers, you know, stuff. They'd go out and they'd shoot uh lightning storms and I had a lot of fun doing that with my dad and uncles and stuff so I have an interest but uh, I'm not I don't claim to have any skill whatsoever in photography but uh, you know I'll take I'll whip out my my phone and snap a picture of a flower or something that I see (laughs) that's about it yeah nothing wrong with that James what's your I mean these days with 
these newer phones and uh, and these smartphones with the you know half the back of the phone being taken up with cameras uh <laughs> what's your opinion on on photography just with uh, the an iphone or a newer galaxy uh versus the professional equipment that you probably have around i forget how the saying goes exactly but it's something along the lines of like it's not the bow or the arrow it's the archer you know oh, yeah and I think the same thing applies with photography, right? You can have the most expensive camera in the world, right? But that doesn't guarantee or mean you're going to take great photos. It might be a tool in your tool belt, but you still have to know how to use those tools, right? And so I would say like the same thing is like I've seen incredible photos and I've taken photos on my phone that I'm proud of and I enjoy and that I've seen other people enjoy using just my phone and other simple cameras, right? So I would say that like, just because there's like a technology advancement doesn't mean that those things are desaturating the quality of photos out there or photography at all. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of a complimentary attitude. Uh, yeah, for it sure. Like. Can I ask, I mean, I want to get like the simple questions out of the way. I mean, how long have you been doing photography and when, I mean, when did it start to shift from just kind of a hobby or a passion to something that you wanted to make a little bit more serious? Yeah. So I was about 16 years old. I had just suffered a major, major head injury. I was life flighted to primary children's hospital in Salt Lake City, Utah. I had three fractures to my skull. I had major head trauma, spinal fluid leak. And coming out of that, it was a pretty life-changing experience. And I gravitated towards the arts as probably as a subconscious way of healing through a lot of that, both emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. But I gravitated towards photography through that. And I ended up taking my savings account and going and buying a camera. And I just contacted a few people locally, walked into a couple of galleries locally, talked to some artists, made some great friends, bought the books they told me. And then I would just stay up at night reading these books and then going out and trying the different techniques that the book was teaching me. And this was before, you know, Facebook, social media, or and even YouTube were really what they are today. And so I was reading out of these two books mainly and just practicing these techniques. And I would just go and shoot and practice, go shoot, practice. And um, really found myself um, attracted to the landscape photography at that age. And that could be because of my environment that I was growing up in, being in Southern Utah, the photographers that I was looking to for, you know, inspiration stuff were landscape photographers. So I kind of gravitated towards that Zion National Park is really close. Fatali had some galleries there. So I looked to people like that for the inspiration. And as I started to graduate high school, I had won several awards um, on the state level and some different things for my photography. But um, I always had a very entrepreneurial mindset, a very, very like kind of hustle, recognize an opportunity mindset. And I didn't know how to make money with photography because I thought like with my limited mind at that point and my limited exposure, I I figured the kind of photographer I wanted to be, I would have to have like a pop-up tent at like art shows and I'd make, you know, like not the kind of money that I was looking to make in my life. So when yeah. I went to college, 
um, I got to college and I took a couple of photography courses that I was actually not supposed to take, but the Dean of the photography program allowed me to kind of taste it out and see if it was something I wanted to do. And the photographers there just kind of were scary. They were, they were very, very good at their craft, but they came from different backgrounds. They were shooting things I wasn't, and I kind of got overwhelmed and scared, I guess. So I ended up selling my camera to help pay for some different things. And then I went on a, a mission for my church. And then when I came home, I didn't think about photography. I was pursuing a business mindset. Photography was like a hobby. You can't make money at it, you know, and there was just these stigmas I had subscribed to. And then coming out of college, being married and living in San Diego at the time, I was overwhelmed and hated my job. I was making great money. And And what were you doing at the time? Was that still the, the solar company or was that something else? Yeah, so I was selling solar day in, day out for over a year, you know, working in an area and known as the solar guy in that area. And the commissions were incredible if you could do your job well. And I just, I felt for me, it was, it, it, it was kind of an empty feeling. I felt like there was something more for me. And, and we had gone to an art show in Ocean, uh, Oceanside. I just had a brain fart there, but Oceanside photographer that I've followed for years and we're talking to him and everything and I left that and there was just like a sense of inspiration to get back into that and so luckily career-wise I was able to take another opportunity with the same company but be able to come to the corporate headquarters and through doing that I was able to I picked up another camera started shooting in my free time and everything and where I'm grateful to be at right now is recognizing that I can still be a part of the creative field without having to be the creative and okay i shot i shot for a long time um for the last you know three four years now i have been building my portfolio shooting for you know some large companies hosting workshops you know even traveling and, and doing some assignments you know shooting fly fishing in the gulf of mexico fly fishing in the mountains some different outdoor things for different outdoor brands and I was like, wow, this is a grind. You know, it seemed to be the dream. But what I've recently discovered is the, the right fit for myself with it is exactly what this competition platform is, is being able to celebrate unique perspectives and unique photographs from photographers all around the globe by creating and focusing on a platform where they can submit their work and um you know, have it judged by a professional photographer. So um, I'm really excited about this because I am still in the creative field with it, but I don't have to be the creative for it to be successful. I can focus on the business operations while I'm still in this creative field. So I kind of get best of both worlds for from the personality that I have. I like that. That's, that's interesting to me, being in the creative field without being the creative. I think that's, I think you said... Tell me, how does your your personal photography fit into your kind of professional life now, or does it? Do you do you make any money off your personal photography, or are you focused mainly on this this uh, competition that you've set up? I've kind of put my personal photography and monetization of it kind of on the back burner. I sell prints for people that are aware of my work all the time, and. Mm-hmm. And that's great. I enjoy that. I, I enjoy being able to 
help people, you know, put artwork inside their home and help it find, you know, that that piece of art, find a space, you know, in that home that complements it well. And I enjoy that. It's definitely not something that I focus on for monetization, but I think long-term for me, I think photography and my personal work will always just be more of a passion hobby slash career, if that makes any sense. Like to a point where as the Perspective Awards continues to grow into what partner and I foresee it growing into long-term is an opportunity to fund creative stories. Because a lot of independent films and independent projects don't meet market or aren't really able to be maximized or be completed because of the funding. And so I love short stories. I love film festivals. I love festivals of all kinds of art right and Mm -hmm. with my photography ultimately I would just like to have the finances not be why I'm shooting but be able to go shoot a project that I'm passionate about and make coffee table books or do a film festival or tell stories that I'm passionate about that I'm interested in and find unique artistic ways to tell those stories And, you know, there's money that comes from that as a result of telling unique, captivating stories through photos and short films, then great, I'm all for it. But I don't think my work will be that focus of, you know, bringing food home and roof over our heads kind of thing. Because when I did make it that focus, it kind of took the joy out of it for me. So really being able to find a middle ground that works for me and just being able to get the best of all the worlds has, has kind of been a blessing recently. One thing you said really piqued my interest, James, was uh, you love telling stories through photos. That that sounds so fascinating to me. Um, can you kind of describe to us your, your favorite story you've told through either a photo or a series of photos? Yeah, my mind goes directly to the series of photos I was working on, which is ultimately what kind of inspired this uh the perspective awards was over under photos so i i had created a uh i mean you can capture over under photos with like domes when you put them on gopros and stuff sure like great and they make great photos no no problem with that and it's a very user-friendly way but i was wanting to use my my uh my my net my nice camera to be able to capture these with my 16 millimeter lens, these over under photos. So underwater and over at the same time, and you can mm-hmm. see both perspectives. Mm-hmm. So I rigged up and it is known in the film industry. They do this a decent amount, but I created a, uh, got a fish tank. And then I went to a craft store and got some like s- scrap foam. And then I like cut out my camera shape and the foam. And then like, just got, they ordered these things that like reduce glare on glass. And like, I created this device. And so I would carry around this rather large fish tank, like on these rivers mm-hmm. and stuff. And everyone's like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> but I was able to capture a, capture a series of photos with like the fish underwater. And you're able to see the angler, the fly fisherman above the water, just a series of these over under photos. And I really was really captivated with that for a while. And that kind of led me to learn a larger lesson in life, you know, that, you know, me being a five foot 10 human walking around my height 
day in and day out. That is the perspective I perceive the world at. But just because the fish perceives the world from a different perspective than I do, doesn't mean our realities are any lesser, right? And it really helped me come to recognize like in a world and in a nation where we're divided, going through an election that was, you know, just complete chaos. But it was all about trying to yell at each other. Like it was me as an angler trying to yell at the fish saying, your pers- your reality is not real. No, that's not real because it's not my perception. Mm-hmm. And it's like the fish trying to yell back, like, no way, like you're, you're, you, you don't, your perception and your perspective isn't real, like, because it's not this one down here. Mm-hmm. And that series of photos really kind of helped me recognize that just because I don't see something from my five foot 10 perspective doesn't mean it's not real or mean that it's not even valid or have legitimacy to it and stuff and so I was really that that was a fun one still kind of working on some of those for a a simple art project that I'll probably do in the next year or so but yeah those series of photos were fun for me wow well uh, I don't know about you guys but I've been edified um good to wrap this up that was that was awesome james thanks for sharing that man yeah for sure that mindset i understand it was a learning experience as you're being able to see these photos and and sit down with them is is this something that you would have ever a conclusion you would have ever come to before this head injury and this experience that you had at 16 i don't know i mean that's a great question who knows did you have a, I mean, would you say that there's a term called paradigm shift that I think you're familiar with? Right. Um, do you feel like that was a, was a paradigm shift experience for you having that experience at that young age? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was told no, 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 over and over again by different doctors and what I can't do, you know, no one told me what I could do. And and so having to hear that the paradigm shift for me is you're, you're, you're a teenage boy in a world where everyone says they respect your elders, you know, respect authority, you know, trust this, trust this and trust this, you know, at that age, I had to have a paradigm shift with like, I sure, like, I'm not going to be, you know, disrespectful, but respectfully, I'm going to have to disagree with your PhD and say, no, I'm going to go do that. I think that's what drove me to pursue soccer at a at a level past high school is because sports were a big part of my life. But having that major head injury, there was a lot of like restrictions that they put on me that I felt were not right or for lack of a better term, half assed, you know, like they just threw mm-hmm. them out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so for me at that age, the paradigm shift was to turn inward to try to find that true north rather than outward which was difficult for me because I you know was always wanting to you know do what was right or do what I should do for my best growth or potential you know and so having to kind of be like yeah sure I understand the risk but you're wrong I'm gonna go do that there's a there's a massive paradigm that came out of that and just me understanding myself as a 16 year old teenage boy yeah Absolutely. Can I ask, uh, I heard something in there. Did I hear the word soccer? Was soccer uh, originally a big part of your intention? Yeah, so I I loved playing sports, you know, 
I always found sports as an amazing thing. Anytime you could take the mind and the body and bring them together and perform at an elite level, like I, I thought that stuff was fun. So I was playing sports year round. You know, I was like the little kid that would have like two bags in their parents' car because I had one practice for one sport and then another practice for another sport. And I'd have to leave one, <laughs> gotcha. one practice like 30 minutes early to go make it to the other practice, you know, kind of thing. And so going into high school, I played basketball, football, and soccer. And then following my head injury, it was pretty clear that football probably wasn't a good choice. And basketball, I wasn't passionately like connected to or really that good, to be honest. But so I just focused on soccer and I started playing that year round. And that was met with counsel of not to by doctors and stuff. At a young age, I mean, it's every little kid's dream to play professionally, but I kind of started to double down on my efforts and training and stuff in high school because I wanted to play professionally if possible. I mean, that never did happen. Um, I played at BYU for a couple of years, and at the time we were in the PDL, which is under the MLS in the USL. So it's a semi-professional league, a professional development league is what it stands for, but yeah, so I mean, I was fortunate enough to have that experience for a couple of years and grateful for it. But um, if anything out of that, I just kind of was able to recognize, you know, the the fruits of our labors. You know, you put the work in and what you get out. I put a lot of work in and doubled down on my efforts. Maybe it was the doctors telling me I can't. And maybe that was me saying, well, okay, like, I'm going to go do it then. And maybe that's a defiant teenager. Who knows? But yeah. Um, yeah. Soccer became a big part of my life for a very long time. Uh, I was never the biggest uh, sports guy uh, when I was in school, but I know Brian that I think that was a big part of your life as well. Wasn't it? Not oh, necessarily yeah, soccer, sure. um, but other no, sports. No. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I don't know if anything comes to mind for you as uh, anything you relate to as far as his high school and college days. Yeah, actually, I want to talk about something you've mentioned. You said, I hope I'm quoting you right here. You were looking inward to find true north as a teenager when, I mean, when I was 16, all I really cared about was lifting more weights than my friends and, uh, <laughs> and just, you know, nothing, I don't think I ever introspected ever in high school, like probably not, like maybe one time in all of high school did I look inside of myself to find an answer to something. And so that, I mean, that just, that was so interesting to me that you had, you had such a life-changing experience at such a young age and were able to, for whatever reason, have such growth come from it or after it, whether directly or indirectly. And, and yet you, you still chose a very similar path to the path I chose was to you know, focus so much on a, on a sport and just train, train for a, an athletic endeavor that didn't end up becoming your, uh, your profession. I kind of want to ask, has that experience you kind of telling, telling your doctors where to shove it? How has that decision to, to do what you knew was right impacted your ability to continue to do what you love and are passionate about in, in your professional life? You know, I, I think that was something maybe at a younger age I was better at, to be honest with you. Um, I found it hard 
some uh, different moments in my adult life to have confidence and trust in in myself you know rather than looking to that external ex- acceptance or external approval to be like yeah this is what you should do and be like, okay i'll go do it you know and i think maybe a lot of that happened through college when everyone's like pick your major what do you want to be for the rest of your life and you're like that's a very overwhelming decision and thought like why <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> so i mean coming out of that experience i was very grateful for it and and maybe there, there was a sense of when i had to walk away from the team and when I wasn't invited back after two years to continue to play with them. And I just recognized it was over for me. I wasn't as quick as I had used to be. I wasn't, touch wasn't where it was. And it just felt like everything, I, I felt like I was always like a couple steps behind and I couldn't quite make it up. Right. And there was a sense of failure. Like, did I do the right thing? So there was almost like this questioning of the, all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. It was almost like this questioning of like, well, this didn't work out as planned, you know? And I would say now in hindsight, recognizing a lot of that, there was, I was bitter. I was angry. I was, I was a little pissed off. And, and I mean, I, to be honest with you, I haven't touched a soccer ball in close to four years um, because of how big of a part of my life that was. And when that was away, I just was like, yeah, I can't, I can't casually walk into that without it just like pulling on heartstrings and, and touching emotional spots. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was almost a sense of doubt, like, well, that didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to, was that the right decision? And then I started to question that, you know, introspective, like relationship I had with myself to be like, everyone's telling me to do this, but I want to do this. So I'm going to go do this. And it kind of maybe morphed, maybe, I don't know, but maybe I started to morph into that seeking, well, that didn't work out. I trust myself and now I can't trust myself. I got to turn externally. And so I started looking externally for like what I should do for work and all this different stuff. And I don't think I really started to turn inward again and listen to that true north for myself until I was married and my wife and I were living in San Diego we made the decision to take this other opportunity that would allow us to live the lifestyle that we wanted. It was a massive pay cut, you know, massive pay cut. Mm. And externally, everyone's like, what are you doing, dude? Like you're on path to like make this much next year, like leadership opportunities, you know, promotions, like all this stuff. Internally, that was probably following that experience, you know, I had done the right thing going against the doctors and pursuing what I did um, I had that experience to be able to dig deep and figure that out again long story short looking back I'm, I'm very grateful for that and every time I go spend time with those friends of mine in San Diego who are making you know a ton more money than what I make and I see the Teslas and I see their massive homes like a couple streets away from the beach you know I have that opportunity again to be like, great, you know, like, great, this, these could have been things that I could have enjoyed, but I enjoy my life now in the way it is and recognize, like, I'm grateful for the choices I made. And so I would say, like, sometimes to the experiences that at least I've had throughout my life, including my major head injury, not being able to play professional soccer when I desire to so bad and some of these different things, they happen and it's an opportunity to recognize how that, that inner voice speaks to us mm-hmm. and uh-huh. how to learn to trust that inner voice. Because even when I pursued soccer and it didn't work out, 
even when I left a massive financial opportunity for something was lesser of a financial opportunity, but provided other things. And then I see people three years later, you know, financially thriving. I have that opportunity to be like, well, I'm happy with where I am because of the things I that I'm able to enjoy. I'm not even going to say have because um, I think it's that that's not the point, right? But that inner voice, just learning to trust that inner voice and listen to it has probably been like one of the biggest things that all my experiences through my life has been bringing me. And we're getting a little deep here and I apologize, but there's been times when I thought the decisions I made were mistakes, but years later I've come to be grateful for the outcomes of those. And choosing to pursue soccer at the level I did, there was a point when I thought it was all for nothing and it was a mistake, but now I don't look at it that way. I'm very grateful for the entire journey. That's really insightful. And I, you know, I can think of experiences myself where in the moment there was regret and and there's this assumption that it was a mistake and only looking at it four or five years down the road. uh, Do I appreciate what that choice, what happened because of that? Uh, ended up putting me in the in the place that I am now. Um, Brian, I don't know if things come up for you as well in that regard. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that I pulled out of there, that is a good lesson that I've been able to learn recently as well, is just recognizing that choices aren't always, you know, good or bad, just different. Uh, recognizing and accepting that, like being on the beach in San Diego and, and having all those things, that was certainly a possibility depending on one of the choices uh, but that doesn't make the other choices that you had and the choice they ended up making a bad choice. It just, you chose a different thing and you're in a different place because of it. Not really good or bad compared to compared to San Diego. Um, anyways, does that, does that seem to line up with kind of what you were talking about? Yeah, 100%. Um, that's been a, a huge thing for, uh, for me to learn as well. Can I ask, with this photography... Because uh, you've you've gotten a little bit uh, deep already, you've been Which open. We with... like, by the way. Yes, <laughs> we get we get deep in way more random spots in our show than uh, than you've stepped into. Um, you've been open with us about addiction recovery being a big part of your life um, as well. And I have uh, on this show, I've discussed how that's been present in my life, addiction, and then. Uh, more recently, active addiction recovery. I don't know if how much you want to talk about in general on that and, and its presence in your life right now, but more, more, I'd love to hear about what place that's taking, at least in your head, as you're going on with this bin, uh, business venture, and you're doing this thing that is so creative and so open to the I don't know the state of mind that the business owner is in. I mean, something this something this creative can really be swayed by. I don't know if that kind of makes sense, but I would just love to hear if, if that's had an impact at all, um, if different things have gone into it because of this recovery that you're experiencing on a, a daily basis and stepping into. Addiction is, you know, something that I've more recently accepted in my life and the recovery side of it is definitely recent. It's something I always just thought that, you know, was me and I was a certain way and was confused most of my life throughout it but as far as like the ties of how that relates to like the perspective awards and I'm not sure if there are any ties right now other than it being an opportunity for me to just have a creative outlet that resonates with me and 
allows me to to get the joy of having that creative outlet and celebrate artwork with photographers from around the globe. But yeah, I mean, photography as a whole has been one of the most healing and, you know, proactive things for my addiction throughout my entire life. You know, when, when I was hurting, when I was scared, when I was, you know, even at the dark, dark, dark times, um, it was through photography that I was able to let a lot of that out and process that out. So now I think with kind of tying a lot of that in now, it's, I mean, it, it's transformed to finding joy in things that aren't so <laughs> just adrenaline junkie mindset, but yeah, but finding, finding joy in, in the, the experience of, you know, starting a family or finding roots in like a city and, you know, getting involved and things that might seem smaller scale, but in reality can be maximized. And I think there's an analogy I love, you know, if you think about a tree, beautiful trees that are able to grow large, just think about like ponderosa pines or like redwood pines. These trees are only stable because of the root system. And so I'd say with where I'm at now and out of my addiction recovery, you know, I'm looking to continue to dig my roots deep into healthy places through career, through family, through friends, through creative outlets, through all the different things. So that as those roots grow deep and as they stand strong and are stable, then that allows the tree to grow up. And then the way the tree is able to branch out and experience life is through its branches as those branches begin to grow and kind of branch out. Right. But a tree without roots is dead. So to put it simple, you know, I, I just recognize that if, if I, if I want to grow and flourish and thrive, you know, I need to have roots and looking at family and career and the different things that most of my time is spent with, I'm just looking for ways to, deepen those roots that can stabilize my life and allow it to thrive in a healthy way. That's an extremely insightful thing. I think we've all had the experience now where this isn't necessarily the mindset or where people's thoughts are at, at this age, um, whatever it's age it's at. Uh, are you, can, can I ask James how old you are? Yeah, I'm 29 years old. I'll be 30 this year. Yeah. I mean, this is, some people hear this and they, you know, this is the, philosophical talk sometimes of, of just somebody in their older years, you know, post-retirement. And uh, this is something, definitely something that I've been grateful that, you know, some of these lessons I've gotten to see and experience um, a little bit earlier than that. And I can actually use that in my life. And I know as far as, as far as being a little bit philosophical, there are uh, Brian here put some things in the show notes that I can't relate to in the slightest, but <laughs> it sounded like you guys have some things in common on philosophy. I'll, Brian, I'll let you kind of take it from there because I don't even know what half these words mean. <laughs> uh, all right. What a segue. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I grew up with photography in my house and hearing you talk about, talk about photography in such a, like a, a romantic voice kind of, if you will, with these like passionate words. Uh, I love listening to stuff like that. Uh, and I love listening to people's stories and hearing how, how their passions have benefited them and how they've learned from these experiences they've had. And 
you're definitely no exception to that rule, James. And so with that, I just, I kind of want to ask, you and I have talked about a particular philosopher, Nietzsche, and uh, he falls into the postmodern kind of movement of philosophy. And he has these tenets that that he talks about a lot. And I just kind of want to ask where they land with you, if they land anywhere in uh, your photography, in your art, in your creative process, or, or even in your business. So some of his, these traits that Nietzsche talks about are autonomy, excellence, self-realization, subservience, sacrifice, and equality. Can you tell me about any of those? Um, yeah, I might have to have you uh, re-read or re-list them, but it, I haven't had the opportunity to study a ton of him. And, and during my philosophy courses at BYU, I, I wasn't able to study him specifically because of when the courses were offered. But I have studied him throughout some of my personal time just because he kind of became very, very popular in what seemed to be the mainstream movement, even among people who didn't consider themselves well-adverse in philosophy, which was fine because I don't consider myself well-adverse in philosophy, even though I'm a philosophy major. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the shortest major and it was an open major. So I'm like, let's get this over with. So what I do know about some of his stuff is I think a lot of it's misinterpreted is my opinion. You hear a lot of people try to use him to justify or ploy different kinds of religious debates. A lot of his comments are, they're pretty dramatic, but if you understand his background, I mean, it it was a dramatic time, um, dramatic culture. List some of those topics again, and and I'll uh, try to pick one or two that really resonate with me. Yeah, sure. So there's, um, he talks a lot about will, uh, like human will, autonomy, excellence, self-realization, subservience, sacrifice, and equality. So the human will, um, let's let's go with that one. Mm-hmm. And you can help me probably understand a little bit more of how he talks about it. But my understanding is he does talk very openly about like human will and God's ability to intervene or not be able to intervene Um with different things. And to be honest with you, I, I do align with a lot of that because I think, and I was reading this the other day in some Buddhist texts, it could it, I can't remember which one it was, but basically it was saying that the only person who can truly help us is ourself. And, and if you think about it, you can be dying and there can be a cure. And if that cure has to be injected or has to be like swallowed or however that looks like you still have to be accepting of it. You still have to put yourself in that position. You still have to have the final choice to like allow that help. We are the only people that can help ourselves with will. I would say that, um, and I think it's, uh, let's go, let's go into like a little bit of like spirituality with this. Because I do think that as we start to understand quantum physics and this new age physics and science as a whole, what we're really understanding is how God's laws work universally. Right. I agree. Um, and my will, if we want to like look at Christianity from its base of God gave us free will, the ability to choose, then my will is everything. It, whatever I choose ultimately to help myself or not is everything. 
God's intervention to give me blessings or to deliver me from suffering, that can all be there. But I still think we have to be in a state of being that we accept that or not. And so there's a lot of quotes that I think came from Nietzsche that are form more slowly morphed into like Kanye West quotes or like (laughs) even even like people like will quote them from like different church buildings thinking it was like a Jesus quote and I'm like (laughs) actually actually Nietzsche said that but whatever and and I think that the more we start to understand with truly how strong we are it doesn't lessen any kind of God's power if anything it complements it because we are one and the same I think the human will is truly the most powerful force on earth. But when we choose not to use that will, it's just as destructive, right? I think will's a beautiful thing. And I think that we're seeing an enlightenment happening in our day and age that people are waking up, waking up to that consciousness. And I think, you know, you can change the word will to desire, hope, consciousness. You know, it's interchangeable with however you decide to look at it. Mm-hmm. But I think people are waking up and they're recognizing that, like, I'm not a victim. I'm in control. And I think at times where Nietzsche was misunderstood or wasn't, I don't know, with how he viewed God and Christ even, was I think he understood truly how strong humans are with their will. And was trying to say that, like, I am not solely at the mercy of God or any other external force, like I have the power within to determine my circumstances. And I would agree with that. Yeah. So in studying a little bit, like you, I've primarily studied this on my own time, just just doing some personal reading and, or whatnot. And Nietzsche is, like you said, fairly misunderstood and misquoted by, there's, I mean, people that agree with and disagree with him there's because there is kind of a there has been kind of a heated debate over these these ideas that we've been talking about and uh, you know I learned that Hitler loved Nietzsche and the Nazis loved Nietzsche but only because his work was mistranslated by his sister into German and uh, I guess some of the nuances of the language barrier kind of lent themselves to this, I don't know, uh, anti-God kind of rhetoric or right. anti-religious rhetoric, which which obviously lent itself to Hitler's authoritarian governance. But no, I you know, I read more, I read some deeper into it because that kind of that was kind of the first stuff that I read of Nietzsche was this like anti-religion, anti-God, really atheist perspective. Um, so I read some more because that kind of bothered me. And you know, reading his direct quotes, I can see that side of it where it kind of does sound a little bit like he is kind of bashing on religion. And but I also see what you were talking about, how you know the will is incredibly powerful. This power, the power of choice to choose, you know, whether or not to be a victim to something. Or in our last episode, we talked about resistance, or we can. We can choose to to resist reality or we can choose to accept reality. And there's a lot of potential suffering there when we resist that. But that power of choice is there for us to choose into reality and, and see that uh, the suffering can be 
greatly lessened when we choose in like that. And so, yeah, I, uh, I wanted to bring this up because we had talked briefly about it before and I had done a little more research. And so I just kind of wanted to hear more of your thoughts on that. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, for sure. And just to that point about the translation and everything, I mean, that's when we get into the whole syntax and semantics and the philosophy right. of language. Um, that's probably been one of the most eye-opening things of my life is when I started to understand philosophy of language and our limitations in language, that we are extremely limited in language, and especially when we start translating across languages. I would even say trying to understand religious texts for exactly what was said during those times is, is it's it's kind of a unrealistic expectation and so trying to understand even philosophers you know historically and i mean how many times you play the telephone game with what like five people and by the time it gets to the end it's already misunderstood so like i think we have to understand too that get out of our headspace and step into our heart space understand things logically take a david hume approach you know, where we're emotional creatures, we make emotional decisions, but the logic and understanding of a thing logically can increase the vividness of that emotion decision, but it's ultimately an emotional decision in the end. And that's okay. Like we don't have to separate the two, but I would definitely say that this trend of trying to understand these postmodern philosophers like Nietzsche through logic solely to justify stepping out of religion that's more of a spiritual emotional thing logically a lot of it doesn't add up so it's got to be more on the faith-based emotional side it, i just don't i think that's missing the point but yeah the the philosophy of language and syntax and semantics you know is whenever we read something we've got to take it with a grain of salt somehow just because we are so limited in language even if we're not trying to describe something that someone else told, even if we're trying to describe something from our own experience, how many times have we ended it with, you just had to be there, I guess. You just had to be exactly, there because exactly. we can't put it into words. And so then when Nietzsche is trying to put things into words and then that's translated and then that's interpreted, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a debate about what we're trying to think they were trying to say inside their head to, to a degree. But I, I, we do have to remember that anytime we're trying to understand the positions of anyone ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you you mentioned reading uh, religious texts, and I immediately just I had two or three memories pop up of just well, what does this mean in the scriptures? But, but this word can mean so many things, or this mean this word comes from Greek, or but it, in this scripture it came from Aramaic, and so like what's what is all the meaning? Right? Which is a dead language, and like it's, yeah, you know, so how good luck, you, <laughs> right, right, exactly. So how do you really define that in English and beyond that why like why do you have to because right. really and then like, wars are and then wars are started oh, over it absolutely. right we kill each yeah. other over it right all all through history we kill each other over it but uh like i want to go back to what you were talking about with soccer and finding your true north with this stuff i've read not i've read admittedly quite little about philosophy as a whole, really just focusing on this one movement and this one author within that movement, really. And I had a lot of concerns and questions about it at first, but, you know, like you said, they're just his thoughts, right? It's, a, it's up to me to look inside myself to find that true north and learn what I can from philo philosophy and philosophers like Nietzsche or 
or whoever. Uh, and that goes with scriptures too. We can debate all day about what, what these words mean. But I think the most important thing we can do from anything we read is notice the emotions that we feel when we read it and how that hits us and what we can learn when that, that inner voice points us toward true north in respect or with respect to what we read. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think Eckhart Tolle is probably one of the most enlightened individuals who understands this topic, in my in my opinion, and his ability to articulate it and explain it, put it into writing in a way that you're like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what I've been trying to say this whole time. You right. know? And um, it's quite phenomenal. But his his books, New Earth and The Power of Now, they kind of they talk about this, but mainly The Power of Now talks about this, you know, consciousness, this awareness, and this I am within all of us. And you know, and and, and at some point, I guess you have to. It, it depends on you know whether you believe there was something within us all that existed before we came to this earth, and if that exists after this earth or not. But you know, I believe that you know, what's the spirit within us, the I am within us has never ceased to exist. When I have thoughts, as if that's me, you know, that's, it's not because my I am lives in my heart space. And it's, a, it's, it's probably a harder thing to tap into to, you know, those emotions and, you know, really discern between what is us and what's not. But I think that's what's beautiful about it is it's like learning a language. It's like learning basically how to speak and it's just learning how to speak to ourselves. And and I would say like that has been the more conscious focus of my more recent chapter of my life is paying attention to the I am within myself and having had experiences where it's talked and I've listened and I almost talk at it about it as if it's a separate entity and that's just me not sure how not sure how to articulate or speak about myself or the true I am within but um the the more recent experiences in my life has led to me you know knowing what is truly me and what's not and you know there's not a beautiful experience than when we're true to ourselves and and so yeah I think it can take shape in any form for anyone sports or not outdoors or not you know but that I am within us, it's eternal, never cease to exist. And that's a beautiful thing to, to know and to have those experiences with it and have that true North, you know, resonate with us. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we try to talk about it on a podcast and then it just, you know, we, <laughs> we destroy it. Right. Cause that's one of those things. Again, we're caught up in language trying to describe something indescribable. Exactly. Yeah. We're trying to put infinite in a box. Exactly. Good luck. <laughs> James, have you ever had the experience on language of just maybe having a disagreement with somebody, but eventually coming to the, coming to the understanding that you guys were on the same page, just using different language and oh, that all was the just time. causing the rift all the time. I mean, happens all the time talking with a spouse, talking with parent in sales. I mean, you'd ex I would experience it all the time in sales. So and, and often that just comes with a misunderstanding of a word that, sure, the dictionary has a definition of words, but that doesn't mean we understand those words that way. You know, that can vary completely. So, And even just somebody's experience may have changed their 
their understanding or their when somebody says a word to them their own personal life experiences that nobody else has had means that they're going to bring an opinion or bring a background to uh, to that conversation that is unique exactly it's like going back to my fish analogy of me trying to convince a fish underwater that that's not real because it's not my perspective or yeah, perspective of life you know oh, that, that can't be right because you know i think a lot of times we're speaking from our experience which is completely fine but expecting other people to have that same experience or understanding even that's it's just not realistic but then when we're trying to understand things through language again we're just clouding it I think language, I, I, I enjoy poems. I love poems. I loved writing poems as a young kid. That was an outlet for me. And I think it's a form of art. You know, I think words are a form of art and there's beautiful ways to articulate things. But at the same time, some of the, you know, most beautiful experiences you can have with someone and one of the best ways you can understand someone is in silence rather than trying to explain the why you did something or trying to, you know, find rationality or justification or reasoning. We're so, we're so addicted to reasoning, you know, why, 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 you know, it's like, it doesn't matter. Why doesn't matter. You know, sure. That like challenges the notion of a lot of books right out there, but (laughs) the reality is when we are willing to step into that space where language isn't needed we're stepping into another way of communicating you know and like we uh recently purchased a horse and um congratulations by the way thank you we love her five-year-old mare and when you know she can't speak english you know i talk to her sometimes but she can't speak english but when i'm on the back of that horse and we're on a full sprint and we're doing drills and different things there's no room for reason I've stepped out of the ability to communicate with a language. I've stepped in a different form of communication. I mean, sure, that can be used as cues or different things, but ultimately it comes into like that heart space. And I just use that as a term to describe like a lot of different things. But I think like the more willing we're, we are to step into that space where, you know, we're not relying on language and reasoning to find meaning. That's where meaning's actually found. I don't know if I can say anything deeper than that. Yeah, that's. I've been I've been digging ever since James started talking, but I don't think I'm still. I still don't think I'm at his level. Uh, you guys are too nice. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just <laughs> regurgitate random things. Hey, we don't know James, what we're talking about either. You explained that horse uh, interactions with uh, horses were a bit of a part of your addiction recovery. Did you have any experience in or around? horses before that time uh yeah when i was about oh up until i was about eight years old it was a little before that close to eight years old i actually lived on a cattle ranch um in arizona yeah probably a lot of interaction yeah i mean i loved it i I have fond memories of being on top of a horse named big as a you know young six-year-old kid and you know rounding up cattle cattle with my my family yeah so i mean some of my fondest memories from childhood come from horses. You know, I think they're awesome creatures and it's found its way back into my life recently. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I've had a very similar experience in that uh, I, I, my childhood was uh, horses. That was my mother's passion uh, was riding 
and also being able to teach others how to ride and how to have this connection. And I, I stepped away from it in my head in middle school, uh, basketball was the better thing to do other than writing. And we get, we don't need to get back into the conversation about choices, but I still haven't gotten over my frustration in that choice that I made. Cause now I, you know, I think a lot about when I ride now, that is such a, it's such a time that I just get to be free and just focus on this and focus on, you've been pretty um, kind of spiritual and how you've been talking to connection to, you know, horses and to the earth with some of the things that you try to do these days. And I don't know if I'm to that level in, in some of the things that I do, but I certainly get there when I'm writing and I love the opportunity to do that. And I know my mother's had the opportunity to, uh, they moved across the country a couple of years ago and she told herself that she wasn't going to be buying a horse while they were down there. And I knew that to be a lie. <laughs> and I don't know if she did, but uh, she just found a loophole in that uh, she started helping at a facility that used equine therapy uh, for folks that were dealing with PTSD um, or other dramatic experiences. They would kind of process that partially with equine therapy and, and through horses and, and interactions with them in different activities. And I think that, I mean, because of my own personal experience several times throughout my life, that's an amazing thing to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I mean, I think there's a lot to be learned from animals as a whole, you know, but I think dogs and, you know, not to start the cat and dog debate, but I think dogs and humans somewhere, some or dogs and horses, excuse me, dogs and horses created a special agreement with humans because I just don't see two kinds of relationships like that with other animals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Can I ask on your, um, this shift that you've had kind of throughout your life and, and definitely stepping into my story that I make as I listen to you is definitely into the attempt of just higher levels of awareness and connection and, and spirituality. Um, you can correct me if, if I've gotten that incorrect, uh, wrong. I, I was curious on, on your experience as you watch these submissions come in for this business that you're doing. You mentioned that you are, uh, you just wrapped up a competition, a month's competition for July, and then uh, you guys are kicking off August. Is that correct? Yeah, so submissions closed for July's competition last night at 12 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, and right away submissions open for August competition. So, and real quick, what was the? I know you mentioned that there was uh, one of the points was that they were going to pivot around a theme. What was the theme for last month? Uh, last month was adventure. And for August, it's wild. Photography is just such a creative. I mean, there's so many ways that different people can take it. As you watched these submissions come in and went through them, can you think of any examples of something that you, a submission that you saw that inspired you to think about something differently about life around you or about anything? Yeah. So, I mean, the way it works, uh, unfortunately, I, well, I guess also fortunately, like I'm not necessarily judging any of the photos. So I actually haven't looked at them from July. My role will be to compile them through our storage, you know, our data system that we're using and to provide those to the judge so that they can select the 10 finalists and the three winners. And then during that time, I'll go through them and, and review some of the different ones and reach out to the 10 finalists and the three winners. But as far as like looking at the work, you know, I, I, I haven't had that opportunity to really do that yet. But um, I can speak on a general level of 
that example of anytime I see someone's work of, especially in a place I've shot that I've photographed and I see it through their perspective, it's really, really cool to be able to be like, oh, wow. Yeah, I like that. And that happens all the time. I'll see a photo of, you know, somewhere I've been or something I've done. And the cool thing about the theme is it's kind of funny and a couple ends of this, but we're taking a theme and I say, submit your photos that you feel capture the essence of adventure and depict that as you know it. Right. And then we turn around and provide those to a judge who's going to critique them and, you know, and then say, here are winners, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of a funny complex that that is, but at the same time, just talking with people and about adventure as a whole this last month, you know, like adventure to a little kid could be like jumping over the gutter, right? Like that's an adventure to like a little kid. It's like, this is scary, you know? Yeah. And then I've got, I, I've got friends who climbing Yosemite, you know, the Don wall or some of the different walls in Yosemite, like that's an adventure to them. And I'm like, that's not an adventure to me. Cause I would never do it. <laughs> um, so I, I, yeah, I think that photography, honestly, I, I think photography is really what it is, is it's a lens into our soul, right? It's when you're behind the camera, you're, you're really allowing your soul to speak. And then when we're able to share that in a visual way with people, I think we're getting closer. And this is art as a whole, right? But yeah. We're getting closer to being able to share the indescribable with each other. And I think that's what makes this project so fun for me is because as I open up the these themes, adventure and wild, they today we've had several submissions come in and decent amount come in for wild and today's the first day, you know. And I can't wait to see how people depict wild as they know it. You know, I anticipate a good amount of landscape photos or wildlife photos but that could even be cityscape photos, you know, like you walk into New York and try to tell me that's not wild, you know, especially (laughs) if you come from like a small town, like in Idaho or something, you know, like walking into a massive city, like Singapore, you know, like I've been to foreign countries where I'm like, this is absolutely bonkers, you know, and I would say that's wild or even an adventure, you know, getting on a subway and adventure for your, or a subway in New York for your first time, that can be an adventure, you know, So I think the more we start to take syntax and semantics, like these words of these themes, and then we use art and visual representation to help communicate ultimately what we're feeling inside is a beautiful way of bridging that gap between language and that heart space. I love that. A lot of the art that I, you know, I look in from the outside for a lot of things, but I can there's such an appreciation that I have that I recognize just as a consumer for a lot of these different mediums. And I think of music in a lot of ways, using words, sometimes not, but, but music achieves these emotions that uh, sometimes that words can never to, you know, words can never get to the point that music sometimes can um, and what they're trying to achieve. And with, with video or art, both being able to capture something, but also to be able to hone in on the emotion that is being expressed in that. And I love the example you gave over like the kid jumping over the gutter, because that's a simple thing, but through um, an expert photographer's work and through, you know, uh, post-processing, not necessarily changing the photo, that's not a good way to describe it, but really honing in on what that person is seeing in that photo with 
you know, the kid's experience of that being an adventure and, and honing in on maybe the kid's uh, expression of delight. Or, you know, when if there's a photo of, of New York, somebody, somebody can transform that photo to really hone in on the experience of somebody that might be coming from the plains of Colorado and have never been to a city like, and really express that to other people that, you know, maybe they've lived in New York their whole life and they don't understand where somebody is coming from when they're so overwhelmed when they come to New York. I find that absolutely fascinating. Good stuff. That's for sure. It's fun stuff to think about and run down the rabbit holes. And this is, I'm glad I can do this with you guys because I think my wife gets tired of me. (laughs) I've also had that experience. People get uh, tired of some of these uh, topics, but there, and there's a lot of rabbit holes. I wanted to ask on the, on the photography for folks that, you know, might be interested and they've never taken, you know, that first step yet. It sounded like you had a mix of formal, formal education uh, and kind of do it yourself, t- uh, teach yourself kind of thing. You mentioned a couple books in the beginning that you started just kind of reading through and then just going out and practicing. If you remember those names and if you recommend them, I mean, would you recommend either those books or um, any other books for the person that just wants to get started with something in photography? Um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend either of those books just because they're going to be extremely outdated. Like one was literally called digital photography. Uh, nice. I mean, sure, the stuff still applies, right? But yeah, you know, the, the day and age we live in now, and this is like we have YouTube, we have several different learning platforms like Creative Live and Masterclass. You know, it seems to be that I get an ad for a new one every week. So there's there's so many opportunities out there to receive the education and the knowledge to perfect your craft um, in anything, really. And ultimately, I think I would like the Perspective Awards to become a place where photographers can use it as a community and we host workshops and we host an environment that allows photographers to hone in and perfect their craft and even help them get that tipping point in their career as a photographer. But get started out, I would say, use what you have right now. Look at what you have and use it. If all you have is a phone, you know, learn about the different features of the phone you have. Then jump on to YouTube and Find something you want to photograph, right? And start learning composition rules, um, exposure rules. And I use the word rules just because, you know, rules are meant to be broken. But once you start to understand how those things play in a, you know, a role in being able to depict certain emotions and certain stories, um, then you know how to use them and become tools in your tool belt. But I would say just start where you are and, and find something that you're, you're, you would be like, you know, this would be fun for me to, to photograph this and give yourself a mini project and then go on YouTube and you, YouTube some how-to videos and then go, just go, go shoot, go shoot, you know, share them, enjoy it. If you're not enjoying it, you're doing it wrong. And that's what I would recommend. Just it and then if you want to, get another camera or you have a camera and you want to get like a nice DSLR camera or something, then, you know, like start to ask questions, make friends in the space, look it up. But, you know, it's, I would say, start with what you have, start where you are and find something that you enjoy photographing. 
for me, it was outdoor stuff. So it was really easy for me to go photograph fly fishing because I love to be in the water. So I could be fly fishing all day long, every single day. So if I went and photographed it, there was two things working in my advantage. A, I loved it. And B, I knew, I knew what looked good. I knew what was the right yeah. things to be looking for. And so I photographed it and it made it easy. And people would be like, wow, this is incredible. But I'd be like, yeah, it was fun. We had a great time. You, know, you should have seen this fish we had on, you know, and they're like this photo. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was fun. So yeah, I would just say, start with what you have, find that thing that you enjoy shooting and then go shoot it and enjoy it. I love it. Thank you for that advice. I mean, that's great advice. truly something that anybody can really look down and just take what they have and kind of go from there. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. We keep going back to it on this episode and we talk about addiction recovery pretty frequently on this show. You mentioned if even just being something to have a healthy passion to pour time into. And for you, that's photography uh, in addiction recovery. And especially in my story, in my story for addiction recovery, shame was one of the biggest things perpetuating uh, the addiction in my life and, and in a lot of people's lives. Do you have a recommendation for an alternative to shame uh, for folks out there? Oh, so is the question that like, if they're feeling shame? Yeah. So thinking of, you know, one of the, if I understood you right, one of the big things that that you enjoy in your addiction recovery is having this healthy passion to put your time into. For you, that's photography. And just looking back at a lot of other people and looking back at my past, shame is, is this massive thing that I would focus on and I would just not step out of to, and I would just keep going in the addiction because it shame is the thing that completes and then restarts the cycle of addiction. I mean, what, instead of shame, either an emotion or, or something to do, I mean, instead of shame, I mean, what comes to mind for you in this better headspace that you're in now? I would say joy, you know, shame was definitely, you know, something that was a dominant state of being for me for a long time. And I, I think, I think shame is ultimately the greatest addiction the world has right now. We're all addicted to shame for a lot of reasons. But I think one of the main reasons is it's the adversary's way of getting us to limit our will and capabilities, right? Because when you're in a shame state of being, like you're just vibrating so close to, to like death that your abilities to be influential are, are limited. When I am, you know, replacing, when I'm shooting photos or I'm in the creative space or... I'm even riding the horse, you know, what a lot of that's allowing me to do is it's not that I'm not feeling shame, but it's allowing me to process emotions and trauma and I'm processing it out rather than bottling it down. And I think all of us, we live in a, we live in a world where it's, we describe who we are through our careers, you know, Oh, what do you do? Um, you know, when we meet someone for the first time and say, what's your name? What do you do? You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, and, and I think that we live in a world where we find you, we think we find meaning in our career titles. Well, I, I highly doubt it that if there's some sense of community after this life and we're able to interact, you know, with each other, we're not going to be talking about our career titles. Um, so I don't think those really have much meaning in the eternity of things, but the, what we're, what I, I see so many people close to me do is they, they've lost, they, they've sacrificed 
the things they love doing that allow them to process those emotions for work. And it's, it's a hard thing to juggle. So I would say that like photography for me in the relationship I have with it now is it allows me to process emotions, including shame in different things so that I can experience the more authentic me. And I would say like to anyone, you know, it's in that shame state of being, you know, there's no magic pill, but one of the, one of the things to it is what do you enjoy doing? If you had an infinite amount of time, you know, no need to go make money, no need to go work, you know, stress trigger things. And I only say work because it's often a stress trigger thing, but I would say what, you know, what do you enjoy doing that just allows you to smile and be joyful and stuff? And I'd say, great, let's make sure we're doing enough of that throughout the week that you're processing these emotions that you're feeling, that you're processing this shame. Because if we live in a world where we're working and working, and then we just eat some dinner and watch some TV, where's the time to process those emotions that we're, we're bottling up during the day? And, and I, I mean, I hope that answers your question, but for me, it's, it's not that, you know, photography is in replace of the shame and the guilt and the, the victim conscious mode that I've been in at times in my addiction. It's more or less, it's a tool to allow me to process those things out. And so that I can experience higher vibration emotions like joy and courage and, you know, you know, some of those higher vibration state of beings that aren't so, you know, just dreadful, like shame. Um, because there's plenty of times I've been shooting photos and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is miserable. So cold, <laughs> you know, Yeah. especially when I'm in Wyoming, standing in a river up waist deep and it's a negative 13 degrees outside. But it's part of the experience that allows me to process different emotions that I've carried with me since my childhood. When I am able to take those photos and send them through some post-processing and then, you know, share them with different people and see that final product, it can't help but think like that's a, that's a little piece of trauma inside of me that I'm able to let go of as I refine these photos, as I continue to capture photos and refine them and share unique perspectives. Ultimately, I just kind of look at it as like, those are small pieces of my trauma that I'm letting go of and ultimately letting go of that shame. Absolutely. And I, I like, it did, it did answer the question and, uh, and it was absolutely fantastic. I know uh, Brian and I have, have brought up state that folks are in where the, the job is the identifier and the, you know, the struggle that both of us, we, we, ex we shared our experiences with that and the struggles that we had for a while because of that. When, when I was in a spot where I thought my job did describe my self-worth and describe my identity, and it wasn't a job that I was happy with the real struggle that that became for me. And, uh, and Brian, I, I remember it. Um, I think you had a similar experience if I remember right. Yeah, absolutely. And ultimately what you and I talked about, Jordan, and what you mentioned, James, just now is basically we use, we use these identifiers, these identities, because they're safe, because you're showing the world that, you know, I, I am a blank. That is a safe and measurable way to show somebody that you contribute to society, where introspection and vulnerability are, I don't I don't want to say frowned upon, 
in society, but maybe, uh, I don't know, counter counterintuitive to how society runs. They're uh, de-incentivized, if you will. And it's scary, right? When I, when I first started my recovery journey, I was terrified. I was t- absolutely terrified to look inside myself because I didn't know what I was going to find. I didn't know... I didn't know myself and uh, that was scary because for so long I was, I had the identity and, and I used these external things to describe and define myself because that was socially acceptable. Moving beyond that has been such a powerful experience in my life. And I love how we've been talking about it tonight, that the only way out of these emotions is through them. Like you were saying, James, we got to give ourselves time to process ourselves and to, to get to know ourselves and do things that we truly enjoy. And I find it inspiring that, that you have made that such a priority in your life, that you've started a company and you're making that one of the sole focuses of your life. I think that's fantastic and, and beautiful and, and just truly inspiring. Yeah, thank you. I mean, to to one of your points there, Ryan, we often give ourselves identity, you know, like in the photography, like, am I a photographer? No, not at all. I enjoy photography. And Mm -hmm. I think just consciousness of even on a level of that, just consciousness of the way we speak, I think also helps us perceive the world in a healthier way. Um, and, And that was a big one for me is assigning meaning to identifiers like that, even photography, you know, I was so caught up at times of worried about being a photographer and even a certain niche of a photographer that um, now I, I, I'm just simply not a photographer. That's who I am. I enjoy photography. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I do um, something that I heard that at the time didn't mean anything to me, but I heard it a second time after stepping into Um, a life of addiction recovery, Uh, a gentleman on another podcast was making a joke about uh, he hates the the formalities that go with every new conversation with somebody uh, they haven't met before. And there's all the there's there's all these habitual things that are just said to each other, just because that's what is said. And my ignorance means that I can only speak to the English language. I don't know. I don't know um, what other what differences there are among different languages. But one of the most paramount things is is how early the question is asked, you know, between each other, like, oh, what do you do for a living? Or, or what are you? What do you do for work? He says, that's just super annoying. And he said he started playing this game, trying to be the one that holds out longer in the conversation of asking the question, what do you do for work? And the person that's the person that asks first is the loser because it's so easy habitually to ask that question. But it really is an indicator, at least for me, when I, when I challenge myself on it on sure, like it's, it's, it's funny and stuff, but for me, it's, it's a struggle because I, I also want to identify and I have the habit of identifying somebody else by that indicator. There's that whole philosophical mindset of I am the main center stage. Like I'm the main character and everybody else in my life is just a side character that have all these shallow stories. And and that's an ignorant way to think about it. Everybody has their whole life going on for them identifying somebody else as just the photographer when I know for myself I got all these things 
that wouldn't be doing myself justice justice if I described myself that way. But for somebody else, you know, he always oh, just the photographer that helped us, you know, with our wedding last week or something. And that was just significant to me that he had noticed that and it was a game to him. And I started doing that for myself. And it's a very hard thing to do. And and in the in the LDS church, you know, it's a it's a similar thing. You know, when people I struggled very hard with I got to I hit 18 years old. And the habitual thing that people ask is uh, when you go on a, when are you going on your mission? That's mm. People hear you how old you are, and they just automatically they start going into the, to that thing. Love that, by the way. Yeah, um, is and it was a you know for me who was not in a position to to make that move at that time. You know that's that was that <laughs> that was a hard thing to hear. Um, and it so I I don't want to dive too much into that tangent, but habits not I don't want to be I don't make such like a rude statement, but habits in conversation are are almost rude to to just like let keep going because that doesn't acknowledge you know the other person at all i'm just i'm just doing it because i'm lazy if that makes sense yeah i totally get what you're saying and i agree with whoever you are quoting i don't like asking people what they do for work that's like one of the last things i'll ask somebody if i can help it one of my favorite things to ask is what do you do for fun or what do you enjoy yeah, I think uh, James. I don't know if you remember, but like at the beginning, the the habit that I've gotten into now. Well, okay, I say habit. The thing that I like asking people now is what takes up a lot of your time these days, um, because I realized that, uh, at least for myself, that wasn't always work. Because I, it's now my objective to that work is not the thing that I'm spending the most time in my day uh, doing, and so um, I enjoyed. I'm still looking for the better way to ask what I'm looking for. Um, and I like what Brian's saying, but asking people what they do or what they are in reference to work is no longer an interest to me. I love that. Thank you for that, James. We're near in two hours now. And I want to ask because what, what I do for work is a real estate agent. And I understand that uh, there are some developments on that end. And you've mentioned a couple things with your, your intention of, of getting a horse and, and having such fond memories of being on a cattle ranch before and you're now making uh, making moves towards being a home buyer again i understand last week during our first uh, scheduled time that we were going to be recording uh, you were in the process of putting an offer on a house how'd that go yeah so the offer got accepted congratulations yeah, thank you so that's uh, now... that's not a that's not an easy feat these days <laughs> yeah um i mean we had the do some going back and forth a few times and the offer was accepted and so now we're just preparing to close hopefully in the next three weeks and get in that is awesome man congratulations yeah thank you it'll be fun can i ask uh just out of the need of, of being an agent and always being curious was this was this the first house that you had tried to make an offer on did you have to go through a gauntlet of being a home buyer falling out on a couple before finding a one that uh, that was able to accept your offer no, actually, just because I'm rather picky, we knew what boxes the the house needed to have for us to be able to submit an offer. And so, yeah, just over the last little while, we've not been in a, any kind of rush to get offers in. But, you know, when, when we finally saw the one, you know, we came in and competitive and put our best foot forward, knowing that, you know, this was a on the level of, you know, it would be nice, we need it, and we love it, you know, it was definitely on the love of it, so we came in as competitive as we needed to be, so. 
I think That's it's the first offer we've put in on a home in the last two years. So, and uh, I know what the housing market is where you're shopping, and that's uh, I find that amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the first offer you made was uh, was accepted. Uh, I know how the market is among the country. Behind so, that, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, we're excited. So it all came together well, and now we're just wrapping up the close and. Hopefully that goes smoothly with inspections and appraisal and all that stuff. But you know what? I'm not worried about it. We'll just get her wrapped up in a few weeks and get our roots planted even more. So you mentioned you've made it very clear that that your mind turns towards this this effort, this daily effort of uh, spiritual, you know, mental and physical connection. And I understand that that you have some some specific intentions on your home and the feeling that's going to be there. Do you want to talk a little bit about that as you guys kind of move into the next stage in your guys' lives on that end? Yeah. So the home, it's 1.7 acres. You know, what we're excited about with that is the ability to homestead a little bit to be able to have, I don't know, a small farm, large garden, however you want to interpret it. I feel like there's gotta be a word for that middle ground, but um, <laughs> to be able to have some animals you know chickens both for for meat as well as eggs and some other animals that we can be self-sustainable off of you know you know be able to fill our freezer full of you know meat throughout the year from that we raise or hunt you know that that's that's always a goal of ours to be as self-sustainable as possible is it more economical not at all usually not but something that resonates with us is to be able to be self-sustainable and be able to support our home, put food on the table from our own home. And so that, that, that's one of the things that was we were looking for in our, our home search was enough land to be able to do that with. This one met that. And so we came in and did what we had to do to get it. But yeah, that's, you know, the ability to, especially, um, you know, I, uh, think of having kids in the future, but having a home where my kids want to be and their friends want to come over to, like, that's something that's important to me because, you know, I know they're in a safe environment and, and different things like that. And I can foster the the atmosphere inside that home. I can create that environment, um, the circumstances there. And, you know, I don't have to wonder about the environment outside of the home, right? And it's a refuge, you know, a place where, you know, the state of being and you know, the you know, good vibes live within our home. So on the spiritual side, like the home as a whole and what's a place of refuge for our family. And then, you know, the land is a place of, you know, really being able to find fulfillment in being self-sustainable and only eating meat that we either raise or we hunt um, or eating vegetables and different produce that we grow there. And we, the home does have a, a greenhouse as well. So that's we fantastic. Will to, yeah, we'll be able to produce some produce year round and some different things like that. So yeah, that, that was what was big to us is being able to kind of have a homestead vibe and feel to it. Well, I'm certainly excited for you guys. You're, uh, you're ahead of the game, even uh, as far as the home, even me and Brian, we look at you, we look at you with joy <laughs> as you become a home buyer. 
little bit of envy. Uh, uh, step out of that. Step out of your, Step out of that linear linear timeline. There's no such thing as linear timelines. There's no ahead. There's no behind. I wanted to ask. You know, we spent an hour and a half in our last episode talking about you know resistance and acceptance, because I I personally find it to be one of the biggest things, one of the biggest factors in in my shift is this lesson and. I had not yet until um, I had heard about one of your pieces of, of photography. I hadn't seen an analogy quite like the one that you had portrayed and you were able to send me over a, a wrap of um, a buffalo that you had captured. And I wanted to, you actually, that canvas inspired the whole topic of resistance that, uh, that we discussed, uh, but I didn't, uh, I didn't bring up the canvas during that episode, I wanted to let you explain that a little bit. Um, if you're willing to just kind of go, go over what that canvas is and what that means. Yeah, for sure. So this is, this was a rather fun photo to capture. It's a photo of a bison buffalo. I mean, I'm not going to get into the syntax and semantics of that, <laughs> but a buffalo is technically an African animal, also known as a water buffalo, but don't tell the Buffalo Bills NFL football team that, but I was photographing on Antelope Island up in the Salt Lake City area, and there's a large amount of bison up there. Little difficult to get to in some areas, and I had a 400 millimeter lens for the day, and I was really trying to get close enough, and I just couldn't figure it out. Finally, as I was kind of exhausted my efforts, I, I was able to spot one off in the distance, so... We made some, we, we drove over to a whole new area and then we hiked quite a ways and then I was able to get up to the spot where I was able to photograph this, this lone bison and spent about two hours photographing this bison. And he was an old bison, had been through a decent amount of ruts. Um, his, you know, he had a cataract in one of his eyes. His horns had been clearly worn out through battles and different things, but it was, it was a beautiful experience, but I later then learned about bison that um, one of the major characteristic differences between a bison and a cow in how they, you know, operate in, in herds is that when a storm is coming, a bison will actually walk into the storm to get through the storm quicker, whereas a cow they will actually flee from it and they'll run from it for a long time and they'll overexert themselves, overexhaust themselves only to be caught up by the storm because it just goes to show you that how many times in my life have I ran from it, overexerting myself and resisting it and then only weathering the storm that much longer. Whereas if I just went into my problems head on and just faced them, you know, it, we get through them often, I'm not going to say quicker, but we get through them in a way that um, we're able to conserve more energy that we can put it into other assets or facets of our life. Um, but my wife and I were kind of talking about it the other day and we were laughing because, you know, like, we're like, well, maybe that's where the word coward comes from. Cow word, you know, like, you know, oh, that <laughs> so that is amazing. So wow. we we're just kind of chuckling about that. We we're like, don't be a coward, you know, don't run from your problems, you know, like cow dash word you know like yeah so anyway we were kind of having fun with that with that word play there but that's the some of the meaning and you know just energy behind that photo of this bison he's 
for those listening that can't see that he's facing, he was facing me head on. You can see both of his eyes, his head's lifted and everything. He's walking directly at me in this photo. And what's cool is he's in movement in the photo. So when the story in the photo kind of came together about bison, it just kind of had an extra layer of meaning. I absolutely loved it. And it is, I love the experience of, I, I walked into my real estate office and I have spent the last year without any decorations around my desk uh, at all. And it was just this blank, bland desk. And the first decoration I bring in and everybody's so excited that I'm going to decorate my desk is this canvas of a, of a bison. <laughs> um, not, a, not a small one either. Not a small one. Yeah, and um, I still need to, I haven't said, I haven't sent you a photo like you requested yet, James, just because it's still just kind of leaning on the desk onto the wall. I was able to quickly explain the story to um, a couple of folks and they immediately, they immediately loved it. And they, they might be asking for a couple more uh, copies of that wrap for those in the, uh, for those in the audience, uh, it'll be up to you, James. Um, I don't know anything about photography. If, if there's like a watermarked version that, that you're willing to, uh, to let us put in the show notes for people to be able to, to view it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I can put that in there so you guys are able to kind of visually see what uh, what we're looking at. I absolutely loved the analogy. It's one of the most perfect visualizations to remind me on on what I am really going for. It wasn't my intention to glaze over your uh, suggestion to to process through emotions when we were talking about shame, but uh, but I really wanted to hit on it when we were talking about this, um, the, the bison and that analogy, and talking about the opposite of resistance in that way. And just even, even something that as far as processing emotions, something that a lot of folks and me at, at, at times in the past had thought to be a very trivial thing that even to the point that it's not impressive to do, or it's embarrassing to do. Um, but processing the emotions is probably the, the most important to do. And the most important time that I get to remind myself that, that resisting is not going to get me where I want to be. Um, and walking into uh, that storm or just taking the time to sit down and, and feel what I need to be feeling and, and just go through that experience. I loved it. So just thank you again for the time that you took. You, you mentioned that it, uh, it, was, it was a long day that day getting that photo. Yeah, yeah, it was. No. But that's what's enjoyable, the whole, the whole experience. I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, a connoisseur of art. But I do appreciate the difference between an experience that I can have looking at a picture or a painting or a sculpture or, a, or whatever. Uh, and then also hearing the artist's story behind it to further enlighten me and to give further light into the, the piece. And so I really, really enjoyed listening to you talk about that and I think I've said I've really enjoyed listening to you three or four times now in this episode so <laughs> maybe you should just start your own podcast so I can listen to you more James yeah, I don't know about that hey the last guy we yeah. interviewed started his own podcast and it sounds amazing so yeah he's doing awesome good. you could start a trend I uh I feel like if I just call enough people in a day and leave a few voicemails that it gets my gets my fix in so <laughs> James, on your uh, on your photography again, where can where can folks find? And we'll put it in the show notes as well. Where can folks find the competition and the website that things can be found on? 
Um, yeah, so the competition is just the perspectiveawards.com. You know, anyone out there that wants to check out, you know, winners and finalists or wants to submit themselves to just kind of follow the journey, you know, we're, we're one of the things we do is we're committed to celebrating and recognizing photographers around the globe, but that celebration can happen with anyone, right? We can celebrate art. You don't have to be an artist to celebrate it. So, um, yeah, the perspectiveawards.com, um, you know, come follow, be a part of the community. And then as far as like any of my work and stuff, you know, I've actually stepped back from having that anywhere online right now and just kind of regrouping with how I want to enjoy photography and how I want to share that with those around me. So, you know, for sure, I can send you a photo of the bison and you can put that in the notes or however, you know, viewers or listeners can can view that. Um, but at the moment, I don't have anywhere that I'm currently showcasing any of my work. Excellent. Well, and it's, I'm always grateful to be reminded of the importance of being aware to put the passion above the, <laughs> I, I, I have not done as well as I've wanted to in the past of keeping a hobby, a hobby. <laughs> yeah. And so I respect, I respect your awareness um, of keeping, keeping it in a place that uh, you want to and taking the time that uh, that it deserves oh yeah for sure i appreciate the time that uh that you've given us to give us your insights um it's been pretty powerful i just want to thank you james for coming on and joining us and sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and i've told you this before but i just want to say it again how i've only known you for a little while now but every time i see you and I, I talk with you I come away feeling so uplifted and inspired and I think you're one of the most inspiring people that I've ever met and I'm really really excited for uh for our very small uh listener base to to have that experience of you to uh hopefully be inspired by something you said today because I definitely know I've been I've been uplifted by you uh in just this short conversation so thank you very much for coming yeah for sure i enjoyed it i mean i had a great time and i was honored when you guys asked me and uh you know brian i could say all the same things about you it's just you're you're the most handsome man on top of that so <laughs> oh geez all right all right uh james i look forward to um at least on uh, me and brian's end uh hearing updates with the home and you know your guys's efforts to make it your own and then uh, for the audience i uh, hope you guys enjoyed it if you have listened this long then you obviously found something intriguing and so thank you for that and uh, we'll have stuff in the show notes for you guys to be able to view as we are chatting and going over stuff and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode